This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by REI Co-op. They want to make the outdoors the largest level playing field on Earth. And this summer, they're kicking off more than a thousand new events and classes designed just for women. Michelle Allard teaches one of those classes. It's a backpacking basics course, and she's got one big message for everybody who shows up. It's not as hard as you think it is. It's, it's easier. And it'll, be, it'll get easier the more often that you do it. That's a lesson Michelle learned firsthand. She didn't hike or camp until she was an adult. My family was really not like an outdoors family. We didn't camp or anything. And so when I grew up, I decided that I wanted to go camping with my friends. And then they showed me how to do it. And I was just like, all right, so, you know, let's go. And I just hiked in my jeans. <laughs> it ended up being really fun. And like I said, you just learn as you go. And if you want to learn some before you go, like what to wear, what to pack, and what to eat, check out those free backpacking basics courses and more at rei.com slash force of nature. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. Every once in a while, a person comes along and starts an organization, and you just want to root for it. You just want to see it succeed. In this case, the person is Vanessa Garrison, and the organization she started is called Girl Trek. And the story of Girl Trek is a story about health, and justice, and power, and survival. But mostly, it's the story of trying to change the world and change your community through something so simple as going for a walk. We sent X Factor host Florence Williams out to meet Vanessa. And of course, in order to understand how going for a walk was going to change the world, they had to go out and conduct their interview on the move. Hello, hello, are we rolling? Here's Florence. Okay. So here we are, Vanessa and I are walking in a park and it's kind of hot out. (laughs) I don't mind the heat, (laughs) I don't mind the heat. Why not? You're from Seattle. You're not supposed to like heat. Yes, but I'm a tropical girl. I'm a brown girl. Brown folks love the heat, I must say. (laughs) This is Vanessa Garrison. She's focused, serious, and perhaps above all, a walker. I'm literally a walking evangelist. I genuinely believe that there's nothing better than putting on your sneakers and with your own two feet getting where you need to go or going nowhere at all and wandering aimlessly on a trail and getting lost. Vanessa walks every single day, and she's inspired tens of thousands of other women to start walking, too, on urban woodland trails like this one, but also through neighborhoods and along busy streets, even sometimes at the mall. It's all part of an ambitious plan that she and her friend Morgan Dixon came up with to address a huge health crisis facing Black women in the U.S. We sat down in a studio in D.C. to talk about it. You grew up in Seattle. I did. Uh, which is a pretty outdoorsy town. Very. <laughs> uh, well, you've said in other interviews that your family wasn't the sort to go out and go hiking. So tell me about what your family life was like growing up. So I grew up in the heart of Seattle. I'm a very proud product of the Seattle Central District, which was a historically black neighborhood in Seattle. Quincy Jones is from the Central District. Jimi Hendrix is from the Central District. 
I grew up in a household where I never had a key. The door was always unlocked. People came and went. My grandparents were in the household, lots of cousins, lots of aunts. There was always hot food on the stove. Um, It was a really loving and vibrant household, but it was also a household of people who worked really hard. My grandparents owned a janitorial service, and most of my aunts and uncles worked as machinists at Boeing. They worked long, hard hours. It was a lot of physical labor. And in our downtime, we weren't then looking to go do more physical activity. And so all of a sudden on the weekends, we weren't heading out to, you know, Olympic National Park to go hiking. We weren't doing kayaking. We weren't doing those type of things, largely in part because the adults in my household were exhausted. And um, we spent our time, our free time doing other things because of that. So because your mom had a difficult time when you were a girl. My mom had a very difficult time. I was from the age of five years old. I lived in the household with my grandmother and aunt because my mom was not able to have custody of me. She struggled with um, substance abuse and substance abuse led her to a long stint of incarceration in the federal penitentiary in Washington state. And so the majority of my life, my mother was actually incarcerated. Were you able to visit her? I was able to visit her a lot. Um, In fact, when I was like eight or nine years old, I would stay overnight at the prison on the weekends. so. So did you feel close to her? Um, you know, I was a kid, so I, I knew that that was my mom, but I think I was just more focused on, you know, hanging out with my friends and going to school. And I think I wasn't emotionally developed enough to ask myself whether or not I felt close to her or not. I just knew that that was my mom and she wasn't there with me every day. That must have been really hard. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Um, But I realize now that I was one of the lucky ones who had a support system, kind of this safety net of family that was able to step in and fill the gap for her. And there's a lot of kids who do not have that. And then they end up kind of in the foster care system or in the court system. And that I am very grateful I was able to avoid. Tell me a little bit more about your grandmother. Yeah. She she passed away when you were young. She did. And that really influenced the way that you also look at your community. It did, yeah. My grandmother was kind of the central figure in my life growing up, the central figure in my family and, quite frankly, in my community. She was like that woman on the block who everybody knew. Um, Her name was Olympia. People just called her Mama. Um, Everybody called her Mama. And she was amazing, Um, but she also struggled with taking care of herself. Um, She had so many responsibilities. She had 11 children who she was caring for, 11 children who never went without food or clothes or a roof over their head and that's no small feat and so that meant that she had to sacrifice something to um, make that happen and that meant that she sacrificed caring for herself and so she struggled with her weight Um, you know she was an amazing cook Um, certainly that was um, contributed to it Um, she was an amazing cook who then also didn't have a lot of time to um, you know do physical activity or leisure time physical activity or exercise and so she um, had high blood pressure and then she had congestive heart failure and then she passed away of a heart attack. And how old was she? She was 66 years old, and she had been um, kind of struggling with chronic illness for probably 10 years before she actually passed away. And how old were you? I was 13 years old, and it was very sudden, and it was a shock to my entire family and not something that we were prepared for, which is ironic because she was sick. So we knew she was sick, and yet I don't think we understood that sickness led to death 
And that sounds crazy for me to say out loud right now, but I actually think that that is the position we were in. And I think that is the position that a lot of people are in where they don't realize that chronic illness, a consequence of that is actually going to be early death. And we don't realize it because we don't have time to focus on that. We're just trying to grind it out every single day. And we're not thinking about kind of the pitfalls of our choices right in front of us. So now you can place her death in the context of, you know, the problems in that community, the problems with self-care, the problems with diet, the problems with activity. But was that part of your sort of um, conversation at the time? or No, was that something that we weren't later? having any of those conversations. We were trying to live. And sometimes we were trying to just survive, literally just keep the lights on, pay the bills, survive. And many times we were trying to live, have fun, enjoy each other's company, do amazing things together that, you know, things that we enjoy to do. So in between both of those things, living and surviving, we were not having deep conversations about our health. So how do you think you got to those insights about health and community? Um, you know, not in a straight line, (laughs) (laughs) which is, I think, you know, so I think that I was always a curious, I think I was always invested in my community for one. Um, I was always very interested in, um, issues of justice, issues of equity, issues of, um, history. Um, and so I think that I was always kind of tuned into those things. And when you start to understand those things, you then start to understand the interconnectedness of all of our issues. And so whether or not I was looking at mass incarceration, whether I I was looking at substance abuse as it related to my mother, you know, there were lots of different things that I was exploring. And all of those things actually um, led me to a conversation around the well-being and health of my family and community. Because health in the black community is really about politics and it's about history. Yeah, very. a lot of it is, yes, absolutely, because when you talk about, um, so the statistics say that two-thirds of black women get little to no leisure time physical activity. Well, on the surface, that's just a statistic. But actually, when you dig deep, you have to say, well, what does leisure time physical activity mean? And who has access to leisure time physical activity? And that means you have to look at economics. That means you look, have to look at jobs. That means you have to look at education. <laughs> you know, That means you have to look at built environment and neighborhoods and access and all sorts of things start to unpack themselves when you move just one layer beyond the statistics. I've, I've heard that 82% of black women are over a healthy weight, 53% are, are obese. Uh, and every single day in America, 137 black women die from a preventable disease. Heart disease. Yes. Do you see those numbers as being embedded in structural racism as well? Um, yes, I do. Um, I see them being embedded in a lot of things, and structural racism is one of those things. But I don't think that the solution, which is what I primarily focus on, right? So I want to understand what the root causes are, but then I want to move myself to be solution-oriented. So um, in understanding the root causes, I want to acknowledge the trauma that people are experiencing, the structures in which people are living, the um, the systems that have contributed to those conditions. I want to understand all of those things. But I actually focus on most of my efforts and energy on, okay, that's that's the problem. What is the solution? And the solution lies wholly within our control and within our community. We have every single thing that we need um, as African-American women, um, as black women, to move ourselves, our families, and our communities to better health, regardless of what we are up against. And we're up against a lot. And so when you met Morgan, she felt the same way. And, and this was 
kind of a conversation you, you know, had. It was kismet. No, <laughs> it was kismet. It was love. Yes. No. So when I yeah. So when I met Morgan, we didn't sit down and start talking about health. We definitely didn't. <laughs> um, but we did. Um, we did talk about us as Black women working full time going to school, what were our wildest hopes and dreams for our ourselves. Um, as part of our wildest hopes and dreams, certainly um, health was a part of that, a large part of that, and understanding kind of quality of life, um, which is really important because even beyond those statistics that 80% of black women are over a healthy body weight and 53% are morbidly obese, there's a question for all of us around quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means joy and fresh air and quiet time and time with our friends and time with our families and time in nature. And those are things that I think all of the women who we knew were um, at a deficit. They were not experiencing. And so we were asking ourselves as friends, how do we change that for ourselves? And that conversation directly led to the founding of Girl Trip. Well, I know that Morgan was a teacher at the time, and she started taking her kids hiking. She did. Yes. So Morgan was an educator. She was a principal. She was a school administrator. And she was working at a school in Connecticut. And one of the ideas, many, we've had many ideas, amazing ideas. We have, <laughs> I'm sure new, you have. <laughs> we have new ideas every single day. So Girl Check might just to be the beginning. But one of um, her ideas was that um, she start a, essentially a hiking club with the girls at her school, hence the name Girl Trek. That's the origin of the name. Um, and she did start doing that, and she had great success in doing it. But one of the things that we started to talk about was the um, scale of the problem and was taking girls hiking going to address the problem and, and address those root causes of the problem that we just discussed. And we thought, no, there's a bigger opportunity here. And that bigger opportunity was to mobilize black mothers all across the country to take their girls not just hiking but walking to have conversations with them to bring their whole families along. So I have so many questions. I mean, one yeah. is, you know, why girls and women? Mm-hmm. And the and the second is why walking? Yeah. So the why girls and women question I think is easy. This is a global answer. No matter where you are in the world, it is a fact that as goes the woman goes the household. That is a global I fact. I believe it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so for us, it may perfect sense, especially in the black community where the matriarchs are the decision makers, are the culture makers, and literally kind of decide the tone and tenor for a family. And so it's like if you get the woman walking, then you then have the spouse, the partner, the children, it's intergenerational, the grandmother, everybody's out doing it, right? So that was just a really smart choice for us. Well, and also there are the statistics that show that really women are dying in greater numbers, right? I mean, they are less healthy than any other demographic. Yes, and specifically black women who die at higher and faster rates than any other group in the country. So certainly black women are most at need. And what's so great about walking? How does that solve the problem? Oh, that's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Where to start? So this is actually... um, There needs to be so much public education around walking. Mm -hmm. It has dramatic benefits to our health, and it is affordable and accessible to all. And it's a great place to start for women who have been totally inactive, who are sitting on the couch, who are overwhelmed with the possibilities of what to do, who have very little resources and very little time. And yet we tell them walking just 30 minutes a day can dramatically change your health, and it can. That's so cool. So the organization really started in 2010. 
Yes, it did. So the first thing um, to back up there, the first thing to understand about Girl Trek is that Girl Trek is um, a pledge. So women across the country, no matter where they live, pledge to walk five days a week, 30 minutes a day outside their front door in their neighborhood to reclaim their health, stand as healthy role models for their daughters, and take back the streets of their neighborhoods. So that means that in Detroit, in St. Louis, in Houston, in Raleigh, in Fort Lauderdale, in neighborhoods that maybe don't have sidewalks or green space or wherever, women are out walking and they're doing it um, alone. And then as a service to Girl Trek in their community, they start to organize walking teams to walk with them. And literally within two years, we had 10,000 women walking. We had, I don't even know if we had a website then. It was just literally two of us in our part-time. Then in 2012, we launched kind of national programs. We became official. We got a website. It was like a really big deal. And um, from 2012 to today, we have just over 100,000 women walking. One thing that I think is so neat about your message at Girl Trek is that you really tie it back to civil rights history. You tie it back to Reconstruction. You tie it back to the struggles of the community. We do. Um, we we understand that um, walking has always been transformative for our community. Um, we looked all the way back as far as Harriet Tubman and started to tell a powerful story of how Harriet Tubman literally walked herself to freedom. The women of the Montgomery bus boycotts walked to bring about the most important civil rights legislation of our time. Um, walking today still, we still walk in the streets every single day for the injustices that are happening in our community. So how does the current climate around race in our country inform the urgency of your work? It It's probably the most important thing because what we learn every single day is that a lot of people do not value black life. Um, and that's challenging. It means that we are living in a world that is hostile to us, that doesn't recognize our own humanity. Um, And so for us, what's paramount above all is that we ensure that we see each other's humanity first, right? That we continue to reinforce our beauty, our strength, um, the rich cultural assets that we have. That's why we tell women we have every single thing that we need. Even in the midst of these very trying times, we have everything we need. And what we have is a blueprint from women passed down, passed down, passed down around how we can move ourselves out of these situations, out of these hostile situations. So what's happening right now in our country? um, I think some people are saying, oh my goodness, like this particular time seems very very kind of peculiar, right? Right. Um, But there's other people who say, no, this has always been. This has always been the undercurrent of, we have always been dealing with this. There happens to be more attention on it now, right? And so I actually think that that's our message to women is that we have always been, whether or not it's been on social media, whether or not it's been Facebook Live, whether or not other people have been hashtagging it, we have always been in the struggle. And that is the real story of Girl Trek, which is that everyday women who are organizing in their communities are doing it in the spirit of women like Harriet Tubman or Fannie Lou Hamer. Remind us who Fannie Lou Hamer was. Absolutely. So Fannie Lou Hamer, um, for those who do not know, she is one of a legend in the civil rights movement. Um, Fannie Lou Hamer was from Mississippi. She was a sharecropper who was denied the right to vote, who then decided that she was going to organize. She almost single-handedly registered 60,000 voters. And this was in Jim Crow, Mississippi. Um, She became such a prominent 
figure that President Johnson, who was very afraid of the message, um, actually intentionally interrupted her um, speech at the Democratic National Convention because he felt like she was a rebel rouser. He was right. She was an absolute rebel <laughs> rouser. Um, and she teaches us all a lesson that the average everyday woman can create some of the biggest change in the world. Cool. And she famously said that she was sick and tired of being sick and tired, which I do think is a mantra for Girl Trek. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And if you are, too, you should join us for a walk. OK, I'm ready. Can yes. I <laughs> Sign me up. Um, in fact, that so that leads me to a question. I mean, what can your white allies and friends do to support you? Good question. So walk. Absolutely. This is, this is a question that women have all the time, non-black women, and they ask kind of sheepishly. And I'm like, girl, stop being sheepish. And they're like, I want to walk too. And we're like, perfect. Walk with Girl Trek. That's every woman who's inspired by our mission should walk. But specifically to support our movement, um, there are a couple of things. One, we're a nonprofit and you can d- support the movement through resources. You can donate to the movement. It's a big way in which we train organizers to go out into their communities and create change. And if you live in one of those communities where you want to see change, then invest in us so we can invest in an organizer. Um, You can also tell somebody. And so we recently did a TED Talk, um, pop some popcorn, invite your friends over, stream the Girl Trek TED Talk for your friends, be an ally, help us spread the message. So you want to get a million women walking yes. by 2018. Yes. You, no, don't say it like that. That's, that's small <laughs> potatoes. I'm it's sorry. That's small potatoes. Dear million black women out there right now, join us this Saturday and walk in your communities. Um, Come you know, on out. Yeah, there's 23 million black women in this country. We're only trying to get a million of them. We already have 100,000. We already have 250,000 checking for us every single day on Facebook. So I, I don't think it's we want to get a million. When we get a million is how we actually actually talk about it within our organization. When we get a million women walking, which we're totally on track to do, um, how will that transform our communities? How many miles do you think you walk per week? Um, well, actually, I know for sure because I track them because Girl Trek does monthly challenges that are mileage based. And so I usually do about 45 to 50 miles a week. Whoa, that's good. <laughs> Do you have a dog who's very happy about this? I don't own a pet. I know I need that's to borrow crazy. somebody else's pet. <laughs> you can borrow mine. Yeah. <laughs> I have a husky. She has oh, to walk awesome. like four times a day. Yeah. All right, I'm going to get some um, ambi of our feet. Okay. That's Florence Williams in conversation with Vanessa Garrison. For more on Girl Trek, check out girltrek.org. They have events nationwide. Thanks to the REI Co-op for making this and all the Double X Factor episodes possible. Check out their offerings specifically for women at rei.com slash forceofnature. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. 